0: Thank you for listening to the Missio day Uptown podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as He makes all things new to learn more about us visit mduptown.com So we are in a series called Unstuck and um, So we're a church that really believes in preaching through uh, the Bible. Uh, We we don't tend to do, we we mix it up, we do different things, but sometimes um, a series like this can feel like a self-help series, you know, like pick up the best book at the local bookstore and not that those things are, like sometimes we need books that encourage us and help us to figure out our lives and things like that, and we need that in a series. But I would look at this series, Unstuck, is, is more about spiritual formation. It's about us coming out of a year plus of um, our lives being very disrupted. Very easily to get stuck. So how are is God now wanting to bring us out of that situation and form us closer and closer to His image? So we've gone through the book of Nehemiah. We've gone through James. We did the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians five. We're, uh, we're, those and a lot of times it's helpful to hear the the whole letter or the whole the whole narrative or the whole story. And it's best to like understand the Bible in those ways. But sometimes we just need to understand kind of what God how God wants to form us and draw from different passages. Of scripture. So today um, we are talking about wisdom. We are talking about having the mind of Christ, moving from a distorted thinking to Christ mindedness. And the passage is from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 16. I want to read the whole passage because I think it gives you a context. Now, this is a, the way Paul writes, sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Because obviously he's speaking to a context that's thousands of years ago, and a people that think very differently than the way we do today. But I want you to like under kind of like look for the themes of what he's talking about: spiritual wisdom versus uh, you know other types of wisdom, human wisdom, as he would describe it. So, 1 Corinthians two one through sixteen says this: "And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence." We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or that of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understand Uh, understood it for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory however as it is written what no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the things god has prepared for those who love him these are the things god has revealed to us by his spirit the spirit searches all things even the deep things of god for who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we must speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about, the thing, about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. God, we ask today um, that through this passage that's written to a very specific context, we can begin to see what it means to have the Holy Spirit and to act in uh, the spiritual wisdom that comes um, from you that we would actually uh, begin to develop the very mind of Christ. And that that would grow and that it would impact all of the way that we think about things and the way that we interact in the world, what we trust in, what we believe in, how we shape our lives. Amen. So Paul is talking about spiritual wisdom versus human wisdom. And I think that sometimes people misunderstand what he's saying because he kind of makes human wisdom sound really, really bad. And I don't think that his whole intention is to try to say that sometimes people take this too far. And they'll say, well, that means that anything that's outside of the Bible— is human wisdom and therefore untrustworthy. So, you know, science is kind of up in the air. Uh, other, other sorts of um, understandings of, of what we've learned to be truth in our society, um, you know, as, as far as like morals or, um, you know, the way that, like medical uh, understandings about people. Is like, like, well, if it's not in the scripture, I don't know if I can trust it. I'm, I'm, that's human wisdom not trustworthy and i think that paul's not really talking about science he's not really talking about uh even certain moral understandings i think what what he's speaking of here is more of what is like the 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 heart's position toward like towards what matters the most what is the understanding of the way that life really what life is really all about What is the posture of understanding the way in which God wants us to live our lives that might be very different than the goals and theories and expectations of everyone else in the world? So it's different than just like facts. Does that make sense? It's different than just knowing things and just questioning all those things, although that may be necessary at times. But it's more about this understanding of the world and how it actually works in light of God. What should we care about? What matters the most? Those sorts of things. The second thing that we need to understand um, is that in Corinth, that there was an expectation that when you spoke, whoever was the best at speaking, who had the best rhetorical abilities, were the ones that were trusted. And this is not something that... um, so Paul is like, this is the expectation. So what happens is Paul comes into this society and he speaks uh, with uh, a very like straightforward, simple way of, of of sharing about the good news of Jesus. And the church at Corinth receives it. They believe in faith. They trust in Jesus. And there's a community of faith that's developed. And after Paul leaves, what happens is other people come in that are much more eloquent than Paul, much better speakers, much uh, <clears throat> like they, they are true orators, right? And Apollos is one of them, and some other people. And the people are drawn to those individuals because they are trained in their society to say whoever's the most eloquent, whoever's the most knowledgeable, whoever's the most compelling. Those are the people that must be wise. Those are the people that must be true. We must believe those things. And Paul is saying to you, I'm trying to show you that that is just a human thing. That's human wisdom, not godly wisdom. That's not actually true, like reality when it comes to uh, wisdom, when it comes to understanding. So they, they understood it as there's this correspondence between words and life, and the one who is eloquent and also wise. But Paul's personal presence seems to have been weak, and his rhetorical standards did not have the eloquence or sophistication that the others that followed. So even though he had a great deal of success, they're kind of questioning whether Paul should be listened to in comparison to these other teachers. They expected him to do better if he he was to be believed. But Paul pushes back on this idea. Paul says, I wasn't arrogant in my presentation. And that's what they expected. They wanted him to be proud. They wanted him to be boasting. But he kind of frames it as, I have undercut the wisdom of the age in order to display the power of God. So the complaint he kind of counters in verses four and five, he says this in verses four and five, that my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Isn't that interesting? So he intentionally undercuts the wisdom of the age and how he would convince the most people if he tried to be the most eloquent. Instead, he says, what I want to do is to display the power of God through the basics. I want to prove to you that the Spirit is actually powerful and can convince you without any eloquence whatsoever because of the Spirit's power. His message is that God confounds the strong with the gospel. This is where the message is different than the world. The cross seems like foolishness, yet it is the very power of God. Paul came with a very simple preaching to show the wisdom of God through the power of the Spirit. His words weren't wise or pervasive to the world, but the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So our faith and their faith was not built on being convinced by eloquence, but by the Spirit's power. He just keeps saying that over and over, the Spirit's power. He did it this way intentionally. But still, even though he did it this way and he's explained it this way, he recognizes that that's so countercultural to what their expectations are and what they have received as human wisdom. It's really hard to cut through these kind of established expectations in the way to interpret the world. And so so for us, too. Now, maybe, I think there's some truth to this reality, too. The most eloquent person, the most seemingly intelligent person, the person that has whatever, their, their ducks in a row, we tend to believe more than someone that would just come forward and seem maybe more simplistic. But maybe not to the extent of... of Corinth, and so we have to, in some ways, dig into our own context and culture. What are the things that we grab hold of and that we believe because our culture or human wisdom tells us that we must believe them, but, the, you know, but, but God would say you need to think deeper. You need to, to consider um, the alternative. So verses six through 16 is really important because Paul then tries to, to play out what it means to have the Spirit of God. So he explains to them that, see, this, you, you got the Spirit by the Spirit's power not by any sort of um, argument of me, like the spirit just came and impacted your life and you believed. So then he goes on and and he wants to kind of make it really clear, what are we talking about now? We're talking about what does it mean to have the spirit? And some have used this passage in scripture, maybe some of you have been in churches where they've talked about this, where Paul is kind of talking about like what they would, the word sometimes would be like a super Christian or um, a, a Christian that, there's some Christians that that have the spirit, that have received the Holy Spirit, and others that have not received the spirit. And there's like, so it's almost like a, a carnal Christian, and then there's like a spiritual Christian or a mature Christian. And that's really not what Paul is talking about. The, Christianity, apart from you having the Holy Spirit, is not Christianity at all. Like, that is the very foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that you have the Holy Spirit. And so, this is not talking about people that have a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, but some people are more mature in their wisdom or more mature in the Spirit than others. Some understand godly wisdom where others may not. So when Paul talks in verse six about the wisdom, about wisdom, he means that the wisdom he dispenses, while potentially available for all Christians, can only fully be received and understood by the mature believer not the immature believer. So this image in, in the scriptures here is like mature believer, unmature believer. In other places he uses the idea of babies and adults in Christ. Or in John he uses the church term like there's, there's fathers in the faith or mothers in the faith faith and then there's children in the faith. And so Paul is saying that there, even though we all have the spirit, we don't all have the same level of Wisdom. We don't all have the same level of spiritual wisdom. And so there's this draw calling us to a greater wisdom, a greater mind like Christ. And he goes on to say in verses six through eight that the rulers of this age who have all of this human wisdom, that the most intelligent people, most eloquent people, all those people, they missed the most important wisdom of all. And not here, he's not talking about like satanic forces. He's talking about actual rulers like Caesar, right? Like Herod, like other uh, very intelligent, sophisticated people in in, in, uh, Israel and in the Gentile world. Paul's point is that they loved rhetoric and they loved philosophy, but they had missed out on the greatest revealed secret of all human history, Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. And so those without the Spirit may not be able to see this, he's saying, the, the cross and the ramifications for our life, because those, the, the cross and the ramifications for our life oftentimes seem foolish to those who have not been, experienced the Spirit's power. So to summarize the problem, just to kind of make it clear what Paul is trying to say here. Because we could spend a lot, I would love to be able to go verse by verse by verse here and try to like unpack everything, but unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to do that. So here's the summarization. The problem then in Corinth is that, not that some Christians are not spiritual or do not have the spirit or the mind of Christ. It is rather that though all Corinthian Christians have the spirit, they are not living as spiritual persons ought to live. They are acting like non-Christians. And Paul's basic response is, stop doing that. I like Paul sometimes, because he's just like, kind of like, stop, don't do that anymore. Their practice has caught up with them, um, and so even though they have the Spirit, they're not living into the Spirit's power. Their cultural assumptions have not been critically evaluated in light of their Christian faith and the presence of God in their lives. coming out of the global pandemic that we've been in, or just in our normal lives, what cultural assumptions in our day and age must be critically evaluated? Things that we have just received as wisdom, as right, and as true, that the gospel would say, I need you to rethink those things. I need you to realign these things. I need you to actually change the way that you believe and think about those things. I don't know if I can answer that to all, for all of you because it's probably different. We've all bought into different things that our culture has said, this is what wisdom is. This is what life is all about. This is how you have success or this is what, how you're happy, or This is how you're going to have, have your, your best life. That, that the, the gospel and the, the, the wisdom of God would, would say that's actually foolishness And here is actual truth, and it needs to be redefined. It needs to be evaluated. So I was thinking um, of, even in this passage, some of the ways in which I think Paul would want to give us the implications of this wisdom that he's talking about. The implications or the ramifications of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Christ's death and resurrection, like what are some new realities based on just this passage alone, and then I have one that's outside of this passage, but I think it's consistent throughout the New Testament. So the first one is this that we have this unique identity, that you have the spirit, and the spirit of God is with you. That is something that is incredibly unique like the christian faith is saying that that when you trust in jesus with your life when you give allegiance to god you receive god's spirit and the spirit of god lives in you and that the spirit is trying to transform you so that you have the mind of christ and that you have and so you take on this new posture you take on this new reality and it's supposed to change everything and it is an identity marker there are other identity markers in in your life I don't want to dismiss all other identity outside of like the spirit, but I really do believe that the spirit is primary. You're saying it's primary when you're a Christian. Above any other identities that you align yourself with is that you have the Holy Spirit, you have the very power of God in your life. And the wisdom of this age would say to define yourself by literally anything else but the spirit of God. What have you defined yourself as over and above that the spirit of God is in you, that you are a child of God? I think the second thing I would say is there's a a redefining of purpose. Jesus says, I have come, he said it very simply, like what he came to do, he says, I have come to do the will of he who sent me. Think about how simplistic that is like the purpose and the significance and the meaning. And even in this passage, we see the implications of that. Like I came to you, I came to you this Corinthian church. I have left family and friends and job and career and like my path towards success in order to do what God has called me to do and came to you. And I know we can sometimes like be overly extreme, but that is pretty extreme. Right? Like how much his purpose and his life has changed in light of the spirit in his life. And so, when the purpose that many of us live for are all sorts of things, right? Just general happiness or power, sometimes pleasure, success, wealth, comfort, safety. These are all different purposes that we can try to exist in or try to control. And, 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 Jesus says it, and I think Paul would agree. Is, I have come to do the will of the Father. Like that is the purpose of my life, and so each day it doesn't mean that you don't go to your job, or it doesn't mean that you don't take your kids to school, or it doesn't mean that you don't hang out with your friends or have fun. But there's this under overarching, not under, this overarching reality of like my overarching purpose is to do what God has asked me to do. And so, in light of every situation that I come across in my life, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to teach this class in light of what God is, and how does God want to help me um, get this person housing in light of who he has like His will in my life? How does God want, want me to treat my next-door neighbor because of what God has done in my life, because of the purpose that He's given me? The third thing I think Paul highlights from this passage is that you don't have to prove yourself. Now, it's not that Paul, Paul's a little defensive here. Like, that's not, that's not lie, right? I mean, he's like, if you wanted me to be eloquent, I could be those things. But then other places, he's like, I'm not a very good speaker, you know? So, I mean, he even says at the beginning of this passage that he came with, um, with like a kind of a, a timidness. In, in the book of uh, the, 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 in Corinth, he says, I, I came really nervous because you guys are all really smart. And that's essentially what he's saying. The expectations are really high. And I just felt like God told me to just be simplistic and explain. things. Now, Paul is very smart. And he gets a little defensive here. But I do think that there's a sense where I don't have to prove myself to you. The evidence is the, the power of God in your life. And I think so many of us, and this is me too, is like we we have to prove our worth or like we have to fake it until we make it or until, you know what I mean? It's like there's just constant desire to prove ourselves to other people. And I think that, I think the spiritual wisdom, having the mind of Christ is allowing yourself not to have to prove yourself. I, I think about Jesus Think that Jesus lived on this earth for 30 years, and he was basically a construction worker for most of it. He didn't have to prove himself to anybody. Now, there are times that he showed his power and said things that were remarkable to, you know, to prove himself, but there's this, this is nature of Jesus coming humbly as a servant, right? Not as the king, Come to a family that ends up being refugees in other countries. I mean, this this is the posture that God takes. We don't have to prove our worth. We don't prove our intelligence. We have to prove how successful we are. We don't have to prove how good we are at certain things that we can trust that God is going to work in us and through us if we do whatever God has called us to do in our lives. The fourth thing. Um, that I draw from Paul in this passage that I think are really good implications for our own lives today, is that you don't have to please everyone. The expectation was for Paul to do things a certain way. I remember when we started um, our church uh, in here in Uptown, and you don't know this, but there's lots of circles that talk about church planting and the way that church is supposed to be, and I'll be honest, we kinda did everything the, the other way. and it maybe didn't work out as well as it could have gone if we had done it the other way in some regards, right? But I think that so often we, we do so, much, so many things in our lives to try to please other people, other people's expectations for us. And Paul could have come in here and he could have tried to convince people with the the best sermon he could have ever put together. Now, maybe he did put together the best sermon, but he could have made it more complicated. He could have shown more of his intellect. He could have shown more of his eloquence. He could have done lots of things to try to prove his value, to prove his worth, to please the people that he was speaking to so that they would accept him and that they would trust him and that they would lift him high as their leader, right? Right? And instead, he listens to God, and God says, I want you to preach simplistically so that the power of God is on display, so that the the cross, which is foolishness to the world, will be shown to be more powerful than the wisdom of this age. He allows the Spirit of God to be front and center. All I try to do is please the one who sent me, he says over and over again in the Gospels. You don't have to please everyone. Who are you trying to please? I think so many of our issues in life are like, who are we trying to please? (laughs) Who are we trying to prove ourselves to and who are we trying to please? I get that that's complicated when you have bosses, right? And you have expectations in your life from other people. One of the things that you learn, for those of you that don't have children, is that you don't have to please your, ch- your kids all the time. In fact, you're actually not a very good parent if all you're trying to do is please your kids. And yet, with our friends and with our coworkers and with our bosses and with our, uh, whatever we're doing in our life, we, we kind of go back into that reality, don't we, in every other aspect of life? It's like we can kind of do it when we're in power or something, I don't know. But we can't really do it when we're trying, we're trying to get other people to like us, we're trying to get other people to appreciate us. We, we need to do this because they're expecting me to do this. And so much of our stress and anxiety and worry and, and disappointment comes from other people's expectations or trying to please everyone else. The Next thing I think that we can find in this passage that Paul We can learn is like a practical implication is that we need to depend on God's power instead of our own, and that seems like really simple. You're like, yeah, you know, that's probably like a second grade Sunday school lesson, but that's true. And what does that mean? Think about what that actually means to depend on God's power instead of your own. Isn't there a level of calmness that would come to your life if you trusted in God's power instead of you trying to have to like convince everybody of whatever you need them to do or whatever? you know, like say like you're me as a pastor. Imagine how much more calm I would be if I was like Paul and didn't worry about what y'all thought, didn't try to prove myself, didn't have to try to please everyone, and I depended on God's power instead of my own strength. That would be a significant difference, right? In my posture and the way I, it would be way less stressful. (laughs) And I imagine whatever you do in your life, if you would depend on God's power on your own, you could calm down a little bit. You could... Feel at peace, you could feel um, free a little bit because you're trusting in the power of God instead of your own strength. You don't have to convince people, you don't have to produce for people, you don't have to win every argument, you can trust the Spirit. The next thing I think we can learn from this passage comes from um, verse nine. The other ones I think you could, you could see, but we haven't talked about this yet, so I wanna read it to you. It's a change in perspective of like, kind of like what you're living for and what you're thinking about as like the end result. Verse nine says this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no mind has con- human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So there's just like broadening of the picture broadening from like the next minute to the next five minutes, to the next hour of your life, a broadening of perspective that says, this is what God has in store for me. And that should have real implications for our, our daily lives. As we broaden our perspective of what's coming or what God's going to do, it broadens our perspective about whatever difficulty we're facing in our lives. So I'll be honest. This just this week, um, in our house, in, in the house that we own, um, we we had plumbing damage, and uh, so far, and hopefully insurance will cover this. <laughs> well, we have seventeen thousand dollars worth of plumbing stuff this week. So when this, I started thinking about that. This like this message, is like no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The minus. So two. I'm thinking, all right. Like broaden your perspective beyond that money, thank God for insurance. But doesn't that change, some, like it should change something even in light of like that, that amount of money or that thing that happens. And some of you have had more difficult things happen to you this week than the financial, right? Really hard things in your life. But that broadening of our perspective is important. And the last thing is, is, I think you can draw from this passage, but it's probably not a direct implication. But when we talk about the last statement of this passage is, um, who can know the mind of God, right? It's from Isaiah. And then Paul says this dramatic things, but we have the mind of Christ. What an astonishing statement. What has changed as part of this new covenant and what has happened because of the cross of Jesus Christ is that we have the mind of Christ. Even if we don't act in it, that's what we have. And there are a couple other instances in the Bible that I would encourage you to read even today. Romans 8, 1 through 8 talks about um, what, what it means to, to have the mind of Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and it talks about you having the Spirit. The second one is Philippians two. It's a very popular, famous passage. We usually talk about it at Christmas time because it talks about how Jesus, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the posture of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man. He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Right? This is a very popular. Most people have heard that verse many times that are Christians. But Philippians 2.4, it talks about what it means to have the mind of Christ, and this is what it says. You look not to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And that's the phrase that we see whenever we talk about the mind of Christ, is that the way that you think about things, where the, everyone else tells you that you need to think about how do I get healthy, that's a good question, right because it says do not look to my own interest like i mean alone right or like when it says that you know love your neighbor as you love yourself we're supposed to love ourselves we're supposed to look out for our own interests to some degree those sorts of things but that's kind of like this human wisdom is like it kind of stops it. you got to take care of yourself you got to you got to do this and this the posture of the mind of christ like what it means to actually have the mind of christ is to consider others more important than yourself to consider the interest of others to be others oriented And when you think about that passage of Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. When you think about what we just talked about from this passage. You're, knowing your identity, Jesus knew that he was uh, the son of God and that identity was enough for him to take on the position of a servant the purpose that he had to come and to serve us all the way to death. Jesus didn't have to, I mean, think about what that tells us about him having to prove himself to us that he'd come as a baby and come as a servant and come to uh, an oppressed people, to a poor family. That you don't have to please everyone. Everyone else would have wanted Jesus to come as a king, right? The expectation was that he was gonna come on a horse, right, with a white robe and, and to defeat the enemies. He didn't have to please everyone because he was doing what he had to do, what God had called him to do, what the Father had said. If you're gonna take the posture of a servant, it automatically defines you as someone that has to depend on God's power because it's not an easy posture to live in. In Hebrews 12, I love this passage. It talks about Jesus suffering until he sheds blood. And he says, like, most of us have never shuff, suffered until we have shed blood. I'm like, oh, that's probably true, right? Like, that's, whenever I read that passage, I'm like, yeah, I really haven't suffered. <laughs> and, but Jesus says this, or it says this in Hebrews. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame. The joy set before him, there's perspective, right? The joy that's set before him no mind has, you know, has, has seen, right, or what is the word, but no, no ears have heard, no mind has seen, whatever it was, the eyes have seen, and mind has comprehended what God has in store for us, for the joy set before him. And so as people that are filled with the Uh, wisdom of the spirit as opposed to human wisdom some of these things I just talked about are are very different than the wisdom of this world do you see how it's different it's not just like do you believe um, uh, the vaccine works or not right that's something that probably can be proved by scientific fact over time it's different than that Wisdom that he's talking about, human wisdom versus spiritual wisdom is the stuff we're talking about here. It's the perspective that you have. It's considering others' interests ahead of yourself. And the only way you get to that place is is by the foolishness of the cross, is by the power of God displayed, the victory over death, the victory over sin, where all of those things that everyone else expects you to be and to do and to live into and to be about can change and shift and, and decrease and the Spirit of God can increase in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.